0: Hey City Light, good morning, my name's Chris, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, what a fun morning we have. Like, I don't know about you guys, but it's just fun to celebrate babies and new life and to think about how God has actually added to our numbers, and it's just fun for me to realize that I have the best looking family in the church. I mean, it's just so many, so many fun things for me to celebrate today, and uh, some of you guys have heard that commandment to go and be fruitful and multiply, and you're doing it. Well done. The Lord is proud. And, uh, as Doug said, I don't know about you guys, but, um, today is a huge celebration in my heart because of what God is doing at City Light Benson Church. This is a historic day for our church. Like I, I woke up this morning just like, it's fun to be here and preach, but part of me is just like, God, what are you going to do in Benson? How many people are going to meet you in Benson? Because there's a real church with real people that are talking about Jesus, proclaiming Jesus and worshiping Jesus. And, uh, if you don't know the backstory on City Light Benson, um, the backstory is on February of just this year, we were praying together in the chapel just a few blocks from here, and uh, it was a Wednesday night, and uh, the Lord literally just spoke and said, it's time to plant a church. And normally when you hear God do something, you're like, it's not the right time, we're in the middle of a building project, we're trying to raise some money. And uh, the Lord said, no, 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 go plant that church. So um, I said, I just planted one. So I founded a guy uh, named Tyler, and we took him to Wheatfields, because that's where church planting conversations happened And we said, dude, I think the Lord's calling you to plant a church. And he said, no, no, no. And then he prayed and then he went. And, uh, and then we announced it on stage and we said, hey, this guy's going to plant a church in Benson. And uh, 200 people from our church family heard from God, said, Jesus, I want to be a part of a new work in our city. And uh, in June, we had all of those 200 people up on the stage. We prayed over them, commissioned them to plant a new gospel work, a new kingdom work in Benson. And that matters. And so today um, is the celebration that they were worshiping Jesus and Benson, it matters because I think about how many people in this room have met Jesus or been matured in their faith because we planted this church. And I say, God, would you rewrite that story in Benson and in every corner of our city? Amen. Amen. Nobody else is exciting about church planting, but I am. So, um, I'm glad we could define the relationship. Would you please read Acts again? Just read it one more time. Okay. That's fine. We just preached it, but I guess we forgot it. Anyways, um, Going to be fun. Hey, um, last week Gavin, um, he kicked off our series in Genesis and he looked at Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. And uh, he spoke about 10 verses. And in the beginning we realized that um, in the beginning there was God and he created the heavens and the earth. That's what we studied. That before anything existed, God existed. He's existed eternally. He is the the creator of all things, heaven and earth. Earth. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to just look at uh, chapter one in Genesis and look at verses two through twenty-seven. Two through twenty-seven. So if you have your Bibles, open them. Otherwise, we'll have the verses on the screen so you can just relax, just stay calm. Um, but as as you turn your Bibles there, um, let me just remind us of the context of Genesis. So this is a new book to us. Some of us haven't read through this book, but let me just explain the context and what's happening in Genesis. Um, Moses wrote the book of Genesis by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and he did this 3,500 years ago, and he wasn't writing the book just to us. He was writing the book to a specific group of people called the Israelites. Now, the Israelites were God's chosen people. God had made a covenant with them, he had said to them, "You will be my people, and I will be your God." And uh, and yet, the Israelites for 400 years were um, being enslaved by the Egyptians, and so they had lived under slavery. They had figured out how to do life in slavery. They had been exposed to the false gods that are in Egypt, and God used Moses to deliver them from Egypt and from slavery into freedom. And uh, that sounds, yay, good news. But here's the deal. They literally left everything that they knew and everything they were familiar with. And now they're walking around in the desert with this guy named Moses. And they're trying to figure out what's next. Their life is filled with uncertainty. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if you start a new job or move to a new neighborhood or you go through a new life stage and you have some kids, like all of a sudden, everything that you thought you knew and was comfortable with, it just got rocked and it become very insecure and very unstable. And so that's where the Israelites are at when this word begins to drop on them. And what the Israelites have is they have a million questions. They're trying to figure out what's life going to look like in freedom. What's, how long is it going to take to get the promise line? How are we going to live? What is this going to be about? And And although they have a million questions, the one question that needs to get answered in their life is, who is God? Who is God? Because if God is with them and God is leading them, they need to know, who is this God that is with them? And City like the reason that we still study Genesis and the reason that this book is still a treasure to us is because all of us have a million insecurities and uncertainties in our world, and we need to know before anything else, we need to know, who is this God? That is promised to be with us and to lead us and to never leave us and never forsake us. And I look at our lives. And don't you just realize, like, I just realized, like, as a created human being, control is an illusion. Like, I don't know about you guys. You guys just try to control your circumstances and you're going to get frustrated. Like, it's just an illusion. We can't earn it. We can't do it. We can't control. We can't manipulate. We can't have a plan. Like, our plans go wrong. And so what we need to know in a, a world of changing circumstances is, God, who are you? And when I think about God, I think a lot of us think about God in two ways. We either think about him as really personal or really powerful, but we rarely see those two things together. And here's what I mean. Um, We can see God as very personal. Like, this is Jesus. He's our buddy. He's our homeboy. He's our friend. He's the guy who, like, welcomes all the small kiddos, and, like, the kiddos sit on his lap, and he sends, like, K-Love songs to him, right? I mean, he's like, oh, he's everybody's friend. Look how cute Jesus is. He got, like, a seashell necklace, you know? He's so cute, you know? And, uh, but when we see Jesus as, like, this highly personal, highly friendly guy, which he is, but, like, we, you, we rarely assign to him the same divine power that Scripture does and realize that he is the king and the creator of everything. And then others of us, we see God as this really powerful force. We see him as this one who put the stars into heaven and spoke all of existence into being and created something out of nothing. And we just say, man, God, you are powerful and you big. But oftentimes if we assign him that kind of power, we think, God, you're kind of impersonal. You don't really want to do anything. You're not really speaking into my life. You're just distant and you're kind of holding creation in your hand. But as far as me and you and our relationship, it's grown cold. But the Bible is going to say that our God is both personal and powerful That God is um, powerful enough to, to create all things. That, man, there's everything that is seen, visible and invisible. God is responsible for creating it. There is no limits to God. He is the cosmic king and creator of all things. He's sovereign, in control. Nothing surprises him. He is powerful. And yet he's also this amazing personal God that says, I love you like my child. I come after my kids. I know your name. I know your struggles. I know your insecurities. I'm your father and you're my kids and I will provide for you and protect you and I will give you your daily bread. Like it's unbelievably personal. And so when we look at scripture, we see this God who is both powerful and personal. And here's why we need to see a fresh view of God today in scripture. None of us, just like the Israelites 3,500 years ago, they weren't going to reorient their lives around a God they didn't know. They weren't. And all of us need a fresh encounter with God, who he is, what is true of his character, how does he work? Because none of us are going to follow him if we don't know that he is a personal and a powerful God. If we don't actually believe that he's the provider and that he can be trustworthy and he can be the leader of our lives, we're not going to let him do that. And I just think about like, without God, where do you get our peace? Because all of our life circumstances, they're just always changing, right? They're always chaotic. And you're not gonna have peace in your circumstances, by just trying to control it, the only peace that I've found on this side of eternity is by saying, God, life is crazy, but, but the, the peace that I find is by knowing that the cosmic creator is with me. He is near to me. And so this morning, we need to discover just a fresh encounter of our God. So as we look at Genesis chapter 1, here's what we're going to find, that God is the hero of the story. Bible starts with God. 35 times in chapter 1, the name of God is mentioned. It's about God speaking, God doing, God declaring, God naming. It's all centered around God. And what the Bible is trying to do is saying, listen, look look at this central figure. God is the central figure of the Bible. It's not about us. God doesn't give us some tips for living. God points us to God and his character. And so um, the first thing that we need to also realize is that in this creation account, God is not using scientific language. He's using very straightforward and very simple language. And so we might be coming to this creation narrative this morning and saying, okay, where do dinosaurs fit in? Is it a literal 24 hours or is it like a season? Um, what, how did God do all this? How did who created, I mean, who created God if he existed? Like, We might be asking some of those more scientific questions, but um, the people th- uh, 3,500 years ago that would have been reading this text or hearing this text, they would have been asking different questions. They would have been asking, who is God? Is he actually powerful? Is he good? Can we trust on him? Is he, can he be the leader and the provider for our lives? If we're out here in the desert, we need to know God. God. And so some of the questions the Bible is going to answer for us today, and some of them the Bible is not going to answer for us today. But um, what I want to do is just look at these first 27 verses in the Bible, and I want us to discover God. So my first point, the first thing that I want to demonstrate out of Genesis chapter 1 is this. God forms and God fills creation. God forms and God fills creation. Um, If we'll remember, the world doesn't just start off as this beautiful functioning planet. It doesn't just start off as awesome. It, it starts off as a broken, chaotic mess. And here's, here's how I know that. Go to uh, Genesis chapter one, verse two, and we'll have it on the screen for you here. Here's what it says about the world. The, the earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. The world was this dark, cold, and lifeless place. But God would step in, and over the next six days, God systematically begins to form a world that um, has an environment that creates life. And then he begins to fill this world with life. He begins to form it, and then he fills it. And so this is going to get a little teachy, but I just want to walk us through the first six days of creation and how God takes what was nothing and makes something. So stay with me. Day one, here's what happens. God creates light. He separates light from darkness, and the light is called day, and the darkness is called Night. What's interesting here is that God creates light. But if you notice, where's the sun? Where's the moon? Where's the stars? How does God create light if there's none of those things that produce light? Like I'm from Wayne State, but I just know like when the sun comes up, light comes. That's how I, that's how I process it, right? And so I look at this text. I'm like, no, he did not. How do he do that? You know, and um, I see this and what he's trying to say is we don't fully know how God did this. But Psalm 104 says the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. So I believe as I've read a ton of commentaries this week and studied this, I said I came to the conclusion. I believe that the light is not tied to some created thing, but it's first tied to our creator. And that's a huge deal. We're going to talk about that more on day four, which is just a few minutes. But that's a huge, huge deal. What he's doing is God is setting himself apart as the one who can cast out darkness and bring light. That's who God is. Then on day two, God separates the earth below from the skies above. Again, he, he needs he understands there's a barrier, right? There needs to be some order to this new universe. There needs to be some systems and some structures. And so he's, again, creating an environment. He's forming an environment for life. Then on day three, God separates the land from the water. He creates the mountains and the fields and the valleys. And he creates all that we step on and we experience here on dry land. And then he creates the oceans and the seas. And on, the day, on that day, he also creates vegetation and plant life. And in the first three da- days, God is primarily forming, 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 forming. He is forming the earth. He is shaping the land. He is creating life. He is making environments that welcome human flourishing. And City like Church, here's why this matters. Even in the first three days, if we we look at what God has created, does it not bring us to awe and say, God, you are good. God, you have glorified yourself. Look at the way creation reflects you. Like look at the way that, that God, you've designed the trees to have these branches that when the wind hits them, it's just like they dance in rhythm in the skies. And God, you are so good that as the season changes, the colors of the leaves, they change and they make this beautiful painting in creation. And I don't know about you guys, if you guys ever stood in front of an ocean, but you guys just experience the movement of the ocean and the rhythm of the ocean and the noise of the ocean, the breeze that comes off the ocean. And you say, you you walk away and you say, yeah, show me the man that created the ocean. Tell me the dude who says I can control the way the waves crash upon the, the shore. No, no, you walk into the, you see the ocean, you say, God, you are amazing. You are big, you are powerful. You are majestic, you are eternal, you are powerful. Look at all you've done. You are a good designer, architect, and painter, God. You are amazing, right? So I look at what God has accomplished even in the first three days, and I go, man, what, what kind of God do we worship that he would form life where there was no form and bring order where there was no order? Then, in day four, God fills the space with the sun, the moon, and the stars. And you might read this and you go, okay, um, what does that matter? Um, but the people of God 3,500 years ago, they would have read that and they would have been like, holy smokes, God, He's the one who created those things. And here's why that was such a huge deal to the people of God because they had lived in Egypt and in that ancient culture, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they were deities in themselves. They were things that were worshiped as God. They had their own festivals and worship ceremonies just to the sun or just to the moon or just to the stars. And what God here is doing is saying, listen, I'm above all those things. Do not worship created things, but instead, would you worship the creator of those things? The Israelites would have been like, holy, this is God. He made those things. And so God is clearly saying, listen, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they would just be a ball of gas or a big pile of dust if I didn't assign light to them, if I didn't breathe on them, if I didn't create them with that purpose and with that power. So God is putting himself above all of the false gods that would have oriented themselves in that culture. Then on day five, God creates the fish and the birds. And here again, he's filling He's filling the skies and the seas with life. And let me just pause here. Um, I don't know if you guys think God is boring and not creative. You've got to go like scuba diving or you've got to go to a zoo. you got to go to an aquarium. Okay? And here's what I mean by this. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I go to the zoo, I see like these like amazing fish. And some of them are like colorful and beautiful. And they've got like, they're just wrapped in all these different colors. And they've just got like a, a swag, you know, they swim with swag. They got like a rhythm. I think they're listening to hip hop music because they just kind of swim, you know, they just got like a straight swagger to everything they do, you know. And, uh, and then like there's other fish and like, they just look like they got in a fight with God. Like they popped off at the wrong time, you know, they have like just big spiky things on their face and bubbles in the wrong place and eyes on the same side. And you're just like, I don't know what you said to God. It didn't go well. You chose the wrong time. You shouldn't have said it. You shouldn't have done it, you know? And, um, but I look at just all that he created and I just say, man, God, you are amazing. Like you are so creative. Like This is the God who made these small, beautiful, colorful fish, and he made these huge, massive whales, and he made these small little hummingbirds, and he made these massive eagles and cranes, and everything in between, all of the various kinds, God created. He is so much more creative than me, and then I look at my life and my creativity, and um, you saw my son, I have a three-year-old son named Paxton. And sometimes, you know, he asked me to do really creative things, like put chocolate chips in regular pancakes. And um, he says, you know, Daddy, would you make one with like a smiley face, you know, make one with a smile. And I try. And it just ends up just looking like one of those broken fish, you know. It's just like, it doesn't look good. And, um, and so I just thought, oh, man, I just compare my creativity to the creativity of God that you see worked out in his creation. And she said, just God, you're so much greater and grander and bigger, And then finally, on day six, God fills the land with life. He makes man in his own image. He creates us, and then he creates all of uh, animals that that walk on land. And this is really the climax of, of his creation. God says to us, we are made in his image. And, and so he forms us with a laugh and a personality. He knits us together and, and he gives us gifts and talents and the ability to reason and he makes us in his image. And next week we're gonna strictly just be talking about what does it mean that man is made in God's image and how does that give us identity, worth and value. And so um, today though, I just want us to first start to see, do you guys see how the first three days, all God does is he just forms life and then the next three days, all he does is fill all that he's formed with new life. And the reason I want us to catch that is because that's still what God is doing today. Like I look at what God did with the Israelites who were just really a broken people who were not a people and he made them, he formed them into a new nation that was set apart and then he fills them with life. He fills them with his word and his power and his blessing and his presence. God takes the people that were not a people and he forms them into something new and then he fills them with an entirely new way of life. And then I look at our lives City Light Church, I want to look at, I just want you guys to know this is what God is still doing in your life. God is still forming and he's still filling. Does he not come into our lives and said, you are going to be a new creation in Christ Jesus? Does he not form us into more of his likeness? Do we who have walked with him not, been, not have been impacted by him, not been transformed by him? Does he not begin to form us into something totally new? And does he not then come alongside us and then fill us with his Holy Spirit So we actually have the power to live in ways that God's called us to live. This is the God that even at the very beginning, he is forming and he is filling. And even now, our God is forming and filling a people. That's what he does in our church. He forms this people and then he fills us with his word and his spirit. And then I look at this and I just want to remember how the people of God, 3,500 years ago, the Israelites would have responded to these truths. Like if you're reading this and you're the Israelites, what is your response like, how do you interpret these verses in this story? Like, what is this? How does this land on you? And the thing, thing that I think they would have realized is I think they would have said, man, if this is our God who's put the stars in the sky and has told the oceans how to move and has told the birds how to sing, if this is our God who's created everything seen and everything unseen, if this is our creator and this is the one who's leading us in the desert, then surely God is able to provide. Surely the God will protect. Surely God will defeat our enemies. Surely God will lead us to the promised land. Surely God is good. Surely God is powerful enough. I think they would have been filled with hope and peace because they know that this God that they're reading about, has immense power is near to them and although their circumstances were chaotic and uncertain and they didn't have all the answers and they weren't overly educated they knew that God was near to them and they knew that God was able to do whatever God wanted to do for them and I say City Light Church I think we need to be a people even now in our day and age that look at this text and we respond in the same way that we say God you are the king and the creator We are creation, you are creator, you are big, you are powerful, you have authority, you are the one. We are not, but the good news for us is that you've chosen to love what you've created, you've chosen to provide for those who follow you, and so God, I'll take my eyes off me, 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 me. I'll take my eyes off my crazy circumstances and I will see that you are good and you are powerful and you can be trustworthy to lead my life. And um, here's how I need to keep relearning this. I need to keep relearning in my life that God is the King and the Creator, and that He has the right to say no, and He has the right to bless, and He has the right to do what He wants in my life. Um, so I know that some of you guys think, "Okay, you're a pastor, and so you have this special relationship with God," which I do. I'm far more spiritual than most of you, um, <laughs> but um, but sometimes it's amazing. Like God still reserves the right to tell me no, and um, and so this like the last couple of weeks I've been praying, praying, praying. Like God, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing. And um, what happens is um, God just kind of made it evident that it wasn't going to happen. Like, he closed the door. He said, not right now, whatever. And so here's my response when I got the no. Like, here's how God reminded me that he's in control and I'm not. I first kind of had this mini freak out where I was like, God, you need to know, like, I don't have a plan B. Have you guys ever had that prayer? Like, there was only plan A, and plan A was, God, you got to come through. Like, I didn't, I didn't think far enough that he might say no, and I need a plan B, you know? And so that's where I was at. It's kind of like, God, I I just wanted to just know, like, I asked for a reason. You know, I wasn't asking because I didn't need it. I, there was no plan B. And so my circumstances are just going to be what they are until you move in and do something. And then my second one was, like, I got a little bit of an attitude with God. Like, I don't know if you've ever done that. Just like, God, you need to know. I like you. I love you. But things just go better for, I just feel like everyone, if you do what I say, you know. And, uh, if we're honest, right, we think like that. Like, if you just do what I ask you to do, like, stuff is going to go better, you know? And it's funny how God's not like, oh, yeah, you're right, you know, you're so smart, you know? And uh, <laughs> I see it from your perspective now, you know? And uh, he doesn't really always uh, honor those prayers. And so um, he reminded me that he's God and I'm not, you know? It's always a humbling process. And, uh, and then finally I got to this, I got to where this verse is, and I think where the Israelites were, where they just said, you know what? I cannot control my circumstances. I am where I am. It is what it is. But I trust that if God is near, I will have peace because God is with me. I will have hope because God is with me. He hears my prayers. He knows my circumstances. He can write whatever story he wants in my life. God, you are the creator. I am your creation. So do what you will, right? And City Lot, I want that to be true of our church. I want that to be our posture. I want us to look at this and go, God, you are amazing. You are so powerful. You are so big. You are so good. And what an honor it is to know that you are walking with us and you've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Like, if this is who you are, if you're the creator of all that is seen and unseen, God, we will follow you and we will orient our lives around you because you are the creator and we are your creation. Amen? Let's be those people. Now, listen, um, first thing I want to show you is that God is forming and filling creation. The second thing I just want to show us is that God is creating all things by by the power of his word. By the power of his word. And um, so let me just let this get really practical for you. Uh, You guys saw my three-year-old son up here, Paxton. And um, about half the time when I ask him to do something, he obeys. And the other half of the time, with sin in his eyes and sin in his heart, he just straight disobeys me, okay? And and so my son has a straight sugar addiction. Sugar is his thing, okay? It's like his thing. He loves it. He can't go more than a few hours without it. Now, I call it bad parenting, but it is what it is, okay? So... um, (laughs) And so we keep cookies kind of on our countertop. And so he'll go up and he'll eat one. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. You got one. He'll come back and hit two. And he'll start hitting for three and four. And I'm like, dude, you're testing my patience. You need to stop. Okay, there's a limit. And so I'll look at him and I'll say, Paxton, you can't have any more cookies. Stop. Stop right now. Put the cookie down and walk away. And he'll hold it right here. <laughs> and he'll look me up and down as if he can take me, you know, like, <laughs> dad, you want to rumble? You want to do it? What do you? You're a pump. You can't do it, you know? And, uh. And then he'll take the cookie, bite the cookie, and then take off running and laugh, you know? And just laugh. And like, I just stop and I pray and I say, God, you put so much of this kid's mother in him. I just, I just, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know. I don't even know. And, uh, and so, if you've got an extra basement room, my wife's here. I'm going to need a place to stay tonight. Give me a call. Give me a call. And... Um, but I look at this, man, and I just say, there's just such a difference between my ability to execute authority through my word and like God's ability to execute authority through his word. You know? Like there's a difference. Like when I talk, I make noise. When God speaks, creation falls in line. Do we see how different that is? Like it's it's just different. And um and so when I look at this, I, I want us to see in these verses that everything in creation starts with the voice of God. It starts with him speaking. And so it says, God said, God said, God said, God said, 10 times in just chapter one. It says, God said, God said. And so here's a few of them. Verse three, look at what it says. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Skip down to verse 11. Here's what it says. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seeds and fruit trees, bearing fruit. And then, and then what does it say later? And it was so. Everything starts with God speaking. It's his word that's powerful, not our word that is powerful. And I see that the God of the Bible here is not depicted as this small JV God who needs our help to accomplish the things he needs to get accomplished. He's depicted as this ultimate sovereign creator king over heavens and earth. And if you want to understand how God testifies to the power of his word, also look with me at Psalm 33. Psalm 33. This is what it says. You can disagree with it, but this is how God is going to say, this is how powerful my word is. Psalm 33 says, I've got it up here. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all the host. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. It was him speaking that breathed creation into existence. And so you might be wondering, why does this matter to us, Why does this matter? I mean, wh- why does this story, why does this truth, why does this matter for us? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, first, let me show you. I think the word of God is still speaking. I think it's still powerful and active as all of us have access to the written and recorded word of God in our Bibles. At City Light, we preach the Bible and the written and recorded word of God because it's so much more powerful than anything I say, or Gavin says, or any other pastor would say. It's the living and active word of God. And if you get around a pastor who's quoting his blog and his book, Run for the Hills, because it's not that dude's blog and it's not his new book that spoke creation into being. God's word alone brought light where there was only darkness. God's alone... God's word alone was the one that spoke to the plants and the earth and the mountains and made it. He's the one who has power. He's the one who stands alone with the ultimate authority. And so what we're going to do at City Light Church is we are going to place ourselves under the authority of the written word of God. And we're gonna say, it doesn't always make sense to us. Sometimes it's a mystery to us, but God, if you've spoken it, God, we believe that you are the creator of all things and we're gonna do everything we can to obey you and love you and worship you because you are the one that is spoken and there's a power in your name. And so we look at this, and I just want to say, City Light Church, would we not just be people who understand some things in the Bible, but would we be people who actually get around the word of God and let it speak into our lives? Like, like church, I want to just really, I want to ask you, would you, get your, would you get your nose in this book, get your eyes in this book, because the word of God will actually speak to you. It will actually encourage you. It would actually confront some areas of sin in your life. It will actually do a work in you. It will not return void. It is powerful and effective. It is alive. It's not just a sterile document. I mean, as one of my friends, Paul Schlieker, would say, this isn't just a book to be studied. This is a voice that is speaking. It's a speaking. And God says, God says, God says, God said. Well, how does God say? God, how does God speak to us? Well, he does it through his written and recorded word. We've got to be a people that listen. Second thing I would say is that um, this matters because God not only spoke creation into being, and his word is not just powerful, but God's word is actually still saving people. One of my favorite verses is Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, that whole thing, like, you can just show him Christ by being awesome and being really nice and loving. And I just went, eh, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, you follow me around long enough, you're not going to see all of Jesus, you know? And, um, and so... What this verse is saying is that people come to know Christ through the word of God. They come to know Christ not because they had this idea like, I should just come to know Jesus. They came to know Jesus because they heard about Jesus. Somebody spoke that word into their life. Somebody shared the good news with them. And I look at this, and it's God's word that still brings people to a point of saving grace and so maybe you were in high school or you were in college or you just recently heard about Jesus and the good news of what he's done but it was the word of god that that laid up in your heart and it was the spirit of god that came along and said man that's true you need Jesus you need to repent and believe and so god used the word and used the power of the spirit to stir something in it and woo you over into faith in Christ and so city light church we here as a church we are never going to drift far from the word of god it is powerful and effective, we need to be people of this book who study, revere, love, and delight the very words of God. Amen? Amen. So God fills and forms creation. Uh, He he creates everything by his word and the final thing I want to show you is that he is the judge over creation God declares creation to be good And so if you were to look at this text and just the rhythm, here's what you're going to see God speaks it into existence. Then God names it, right? He's the one that says this is light and it's day and this is darkness and it is night He's the one who names creation and then he comes back to his creation. and He says it is good It is good. It is good And so look with me at uh, verse 4 Here's what it was. He says, God saw that the light was good. And he says, it is good. Then in verse 10, when he saw the land, he said, he saw that it was good. Then again, verse 12, God makes vegetation. He says, God saw that it was good seven times. In just this first chapter, God says, it is good. It is good. It is good. And creation is good. Think about creation before sin entered into the world. It wasn't violent, right? The lion and the lamb weren't chasing each other like he wasn't hunting him, right? They were playing tag in the valley together. Creation just looked different. There were no mosquitoes. There were no balding men at 30. Everything was good, you know? It's a personal issue. I'll talk about it later. Anyways. And what I want you to see is that God also gets naming rights here. He calls the light, light, the darkness, darkness. Now, who gets naming rights in life? the one who has authority over it, right? Like, if you um, are a parent, uh, you get to name your kid whatever you want. And uh, the joke first hour was like, if you wanna name your kid Big Sizzle, you can do that. Like, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, my wife was like, what do you wanna name our, our second? I said, Big Sizzle sounds good to me. I mean, imagine the first day of class. Is Big Sizzle here? Yes, I am, you know? I mean, who messes with that kid on the playground? Nobody. You're not going to pop off the big sizzle. You don't know why he's called that, you know? And so, um, and so I look at this and I say, God gets naming rights. Just as parents, you get to name your kids because they're your kids. God gets to create and name creation because he created it. And God is saying to the Israelites, I am the father of all of creation all of it, I get to name. And one of the cool things that he does is he says, it is good. It is good. Is it good, right? And so what he's doing is he's declaring it. He's saying, I judged creation not to be so-so or morally neutral, but I'm declaring uh, all that I've created as good. God alone is the cosmic judge. And and he gets to say what's good and what's not. And so um, sometimes this is really deep and really um, hard to understand. And so we have to go to really, really smart people. And so I went to a recorded work called All Eyes on Me by an urban poet named Tupac. And here's here's what he has to say about God as the only judge. He says, only God can judge me. Only God. All you other folks, which is not folks, need to get out the business, okay? So I love this. Get around the Word of God and get around Tupac because Tupac understood. The only one with the right to judge is the creator. Creation can't judge creation. Only the creator with the moral, moral standard can actually judge creation. Amen? Now listen, that was the first time Tupac has ever been quoted in a creation series in the history of the church. Thousands of years. That just happened. You were a part of it. You can tweet about it later. Anyways, the Israelites 3,500 years ago would have said, God You stand alone as the cosmic creator and judge of all things. You have authority. You are the ultimate king. You are the judge. You have the power. You are the one that stands alone. So here's how we need to apply this to our lives. I think if God declares creation good, then we need to reorient and rethink how do we see creation. And people can kind of think of creation in a couple different camps. Some of you guys, some people think, man, what God is really after is our hearts and our souls. And God isn't physical. He's spiritual. And so everything that is physical is bad. Everything that is physical is decaying. Everything that is physical is eroding, right? And so we dismiss everything that is created, and we don't see it in the same way that God would. We'd say, okay, what really mads is our worship and our, our spirituality and all that is not seen but seen. Everything that is seen is evil and everything that's not seen is good. And we separate creation and make it to be less than it really is. And the problem with that is God has declared creation to be good. He created, it's beautiful. It reveals part of his character and his nature. And God has has looked at us as his creation. And he said, "I've, I've put you in the garden and I've called you to steward the garden. And then, yes, I get creation is fallen and broken and it's messy and it's not as it should be. But but I also know that Jesus is not coming back and taking us off of this earth somewhere else. Jesus is going to come back and make a new earth. But until he does that, he's saying, would the people of God, would, would, would you delight in creation? Would you care about creation? Would you steward creation? It is beautiful. Take it in. Enjoy it. Don't abuse it. And then um, the second way maybe we see creation is we see it as divine. We see it as equal to God. And what we do is we don't lower creation to dismiss it. What we do is we take creation and we, uh, we put it above the the great creator. And so this is the people that say, I don't need your Jesus. I don't need your Bible. I don't need your church. I don't need any of that. What I really need is I just need some time alone in the forest because mother earth is my energy. And it sounds really cool and hip, but mother earth didn't die on the cross for your sins. Last time I checked. And so I look at this and I said, no, 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 no. God is a person. It's not just some cosmic force. God is the one that is holding the earth in his hand. And I look at creation and I love it. It brings me to awe and worship to dream about all that God has done. I say, man, God, you are good, powerful, beautiful, and amazing to see all that you've created. It's unbelievable. But what I do is I see what he created in the garden and I don't just clap for the garden. I go find the gardener and I say, God, man, you are awesome. You are awesome. You created all of this. So as... As Christians, I just want to challenge us as a church, like, enjoy creation. Enjoy it. But also, would we be people who unashamedly worship the creator, Jesus Christ, who has made everything visible and visible? Amen? I want to end this whole time with just speaking good news to our church. Um, it, as I think about what God has done, let me remind us that Jesus Christ is still forming and filling his people. Like, if you're here today and you don't know what God is doing, well, he's forming you into his image. And what God is doing is he's filling you with his spirit. And the spirit of God is going to help you to love things that God loves and hate things that God hates. He is forming you and filling you and making you new. And as I look at this text, God declared all things to be good. But can't we just be honest? We are not a people who have done all good. We have blown it, we have been broken, we've run from him, but the good news of Jesus Christ today is although we run, ran from our creator, our creator came running after us, and he didn't just make move us from good to bad, he moved us from death to life. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us, amen? And so we worship him unashamedly around here. The Jesus that spoke the world into creation is the same Jesus that is saving sinners even now. And today we're going to remember what Jesus has done by taking communion together. If you're helping with communion, would you dismiss yourself, go and get the communion elements and begin to come forward at this time. And uh, we take communion to remember Christ. This isn't just a ritual that we do, um, but we really do remember that as the bread is broken, we remember that Christ's body was broken for us so that creation, broken, fallen creation like me and you could be made whole in Christ again. And as Jesus' blood was shed, so we remember that through the juice that we take that Jesus poured out his life so that we could be brought back into right relationship with him. And so um, we're gonna take communion in just a minute. If you have um, a food allergy, we've got a special table for you in the back. Otherwise, if you're in the back few rows, we'll have communion stations there. Otherwise, everybody else feel free to come forward. And so let me pray. We'll take communion and we'll worship Jesus. God, you have been so gracious to us. And I wanna right now just pause and say, you are the king. You are the creator. We are your creation. And God, you are this unbelievable mix of unmatched power and unashamed love and personality for us. And so, God, we love you because you've loved us. We trust you because you are worthy. And we look at all of creation and we say, God, you've done this, you've made this. And we worship you because of all that you've done and all that you are today. And so, Jesus. Even now, I pray at our church that we would fall more and more in love with your word, that we would delight in it, we would cherish it. I pray that even now, God, would you form us and fill us and make us more like yourself. I pray even now that, God, we would look at all you've done and our hearts would be stirred with a warm affection for you because you are the God that, that spoke everything into existence. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.